Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by BetSperts. Welcome to The Deep Dive. It is the Monday of the offseason, which means tennis TV is streaming at my house, and I will be distracted as we watch the great men of the ATP Tour. Take on the Acapulco Open, the Abierto Mexicano Telcel Open. The Telcel, uh, yes, that's like Verizon down there. Abierto Mexicano Telcel. Um, the women's tour is in our friend Sports Dogmas neck of the woods. They're in Guadalajara, um, but uh, yeah, and Doha. Is, couple, couple. This couple is a fun places. time. To see, this is a fun time of year where I really start to get a little bit more into the tennis. The um, the South American swing doesn't really do it for me anymore. Uh, the indoor European swing doesn't really do it for me anymore. Uh, but I like this Acapulco as the build up to Indian Wells in Miami. And then the uh, the European clay swing coming up is just an absolute delight to handicap. And it's perfect time. Like it's right during like the you wake up in the morning, action's already going. Uh, you know, you can watch through lunchtime and then you can get on with your day. Um, so it's uh, it's it's. Uh, and in, in our little preamble, we were talking like, uh, yeah, this is a stacked field for the uh, Acapulco Open. We have Rafa Nadal, of course, your Aussie Open champion. Uh, Daniel Medvedev, your Aussie Open runner-up. <laughs> Alexander Zverev, your second choice to win the Aussie Open, who had a massively disappointing he, out, yeah, ouster. He was, he was uh, priced like he should have done well. <laughs> yeah. The uh, yeah, so it's uh, best it's of been three a, here, though. So I'm, three, I have supreme yeah. confidence in him. Yeah, it's quite hot, too. Taylor Swift, Taylor Fritz just absolutely drenched right now. Um, the uh, yeah, so yeah, for whatever reason, and Rappendahl really, really cares about this one weird random 500 point tournament. Um, just out of curiosity, Andy, uh, what would you guess out of the uh, out of all of the Masters 1000s, what is Rafa Nadal's poorest? uh cincinnati no he's he's okay in cincinnati he's not great Uh, he's won one out of 12 (laughs) his his win loss there is 67 percent chirana montreal Mm. is he okay at that one he also cares about the canadian open he's got five titles uh at the canadian open the rod the the coupe roger what's the the singapore what am i trying to think of shanghai he's he's won one title out of 14 of tries at uh at shanghai it is the Miami Obviously, Open. I'm, I'm he is not, 0 is for my, 13. We just 0 for 13. God, I, I he is it's yet a, I get it's to a bring home the hardware in Miami. And actually, if you don't know, they they moved the Miami Open. It used to be in beautiful Biscayne Bay, a tennis tournament that was fraught with um, iguanas. You know, the like, iguanas were falling out of the trees onto the players. Well, I don't you know, know, you know this, fraught. right? Well, they were they were a nuisance <laughs> <laughs> to yes. the tournament, and uh, they moved it from Biscayne Bay to. Um, uh, the where the Dolphins play, Hard Rock, the Hard Rock uh, Stadium in Miami uh, is now where they play the Miami Open, which is coming up. So it's tennis season for me, and this is it's a nice break, honestly, from football. A nice break from NBA. How has your transition gone from caring about the NFL twenty four seven and doing an entire week of build up for the Super Bowl, and then having like a vacuum in your life last week of no football? It, it has been nice. It's been, it gave me a little time to tighten up a few things in college basketball, even though it looks like the Holy Cross is losing by 100 points right now. That is, that is the thing <laughs> about betting. Holy Cross. Betting about some of those underdogs. Sometimes they just lose by a million. 
that's a that's why it's a volume game. But no, it, it's been great to have some time on that. It's been great to have some time to look into some some golf stuff as we kind of ramp up into the meatier part of the season, even though this week is not a meaty tournament whatsoever. It's still one I enjoy watching, especially with the, the amount of golf coverage that you can get on ESPN plus right now. Yeah. The UFC has, uh, there's been some good fights. There's some good pay-per-views coming up in March and April. We're definitely going to touch on that with a guest or two. And uh, you know, I even, I even really, really enjoyed my daughter's really into basketball. So we watched, most of the NBA All-Star festivities, including the horrible, and Noops and I ripped it apart already <laughs> this morning. The dunk, like my wife, my, my wife I've checked out of this since ever since they fixed that one with the Kia All-Star game. You know, the Kia uh, the fix was in with Blake Griffin. I, I tuned out to the, that. That was my last dunk contest. I was done after that. I mean, we, we watched the skills comp was great. The three point contest is always fun, especially just wild that a big man who shoots really well, was able to want it, uh, win it there. But the dunk contest, so it's like, we, I, I brought this up the other day. We watched Jaws, and then I turned it the off. The movie with the shark? The shark. And then okay. I flipped I flip back to the cable box and direct TV. I said, you know, I go right to the sports channel, see what's on. And they were, they were showing all the dunk contests. And I, I've told the story, like they had the Vince Carter one on. And my daughter and I watched the whole thing pretty much. It was awesome. Like doing that, the, you know, it's over, oh, yeah. like seeing it, it just chills. And like, it was a really good dunk contest. Great so, like, gift, by in the her, way. in her head, like the dunk contest had been built up. She watched the 2001 and then we sat and watched last year or this year's. And my wife was getting mad because <laughs> they're explaining, you know, they're like getting into, deep into the weeds. Well, that wasn't technically an attempt because he didn't raise this. Like my wife's like, this is awful. Like she's, every time she's run, steamed, she's like pairs figure skating is on primetime. Andy, we could be watching the Russians and the Chinese oh, in the shit. battle Royale Paris figure skating. I'm not joking. It was fucking electric. It was super, super, yeah. super good. And uh, glad I watched that instead of the. Um, no, it, it's it's stunk. Like people people in my house are mad. Like, why does he get to run at the basket three hundred times? And it, <laughs> yeah, it just it stunk. Yeah. And uh, otherwise, the All Star game was fun. Curry Curry lighting it up for a while was really cool to watch him just get hot. Yeah, he scored it was, fifty. It was. Oh, I mean, he just couldn't miss a three for a little bit there. And LeBron hitting the last shot in Cleveland was neat. MJ getting a bigger a bra. Uh, a round of cheers then lebron at halftime was uh fun so i think I, we'll, overall like I, i'm i'm over most all-star games i think the nba one is the one i'm most likely to watch and it still kind of stinks so mm. i'm i'm happy to uh happy to get back to normal college or normal basketball is lebron in is uh have you looked at the awards market betting at all is lebron um a good bet to win a Razzie for space jam too i thought he was fine you thought he was fine. Oh, okay. I've heard he wasn't, Buzz he wasn't was that bad. get a Razzie. Maybe I, I think those awards are just kind of like who who can we give this to that'll have the most social media buzz? Let me <laughs> give it. So I mean you're probably right. If you want to bet on him, I think I would do it. There was a whole category of bad Bruce Willis movies that I had never heard of from last year. Did you see that? <laughs> no. I, that guy's getting some work. He must owe some money somewhere or something. He must, yeah. He must. He's the Phil Mickelson of the of the A-list actor circuit. Um, the uh, the Academy Awards aren't until the end of March. They keep moving these around for some reason. I never um, know. 
They are March 27th, 2022. So there's no rush to get down on our Academy Award bets. Um, did you see who's hosting the Academy Awards? Yorgos. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a gambling Twitter callback. No. I think it, isn't Amy Schumer? It is. It's a Regina yeah, it's Hall. Not, it's not how you say Amy it Schumer and Wanda Sykes. Yikes. Uh, maybe it will be entertaining, but uh, that is a uh, that's a, a, a dicey trio. Wanda Sykes hasn't been relevant in a long time. I'm not sure who Regina Hall is and Amy Schumer. I think she does a cooking show now. Um, yeah. Yikes. Um, all right. I well, just, I would just get Billy Crystal every year, but that's me. We'll find we'll find some Oscars winners. <laughs> you yes. want to see Billy Crystal? You're wearing the demo now, or we want to see Billy Crystal hosting <laughs> the Oscars and the halftime show for the Super Best Bowl. Best NBA ref of all time, Billy Crystal. Um, God damn, he has done some great things. Um, all right, well, really, you know, I I I, I think we do ought to do a hard reset here. Talk a little bit about the sports weekend, and then we can dive into our main topic today, where we were going to be basically. Just kind of navel gazing about how we go about building power rankings when we start a new sport, because I feel like that will be somewhat useful to our audience who is now pivoting from, you know, maybe they had a good model, but they helped them win in the NFL this season. Um, and now they're pivoting to trying to figure out how to apply themselves in some new area like golf or Daytona, you know, or NASCAR racing or something like that, right? Like there's a lot of correlate you know a lot of off-season sports you can attack you build a baseball mall if you want it may not be useful this year yeah, i don't maybe know maybe in the future <laughs> um but yeah we'll uh uh we'll yeah we'll we'll cover a little bit of our thoughts on how you go about getting started we'll share some of our favorite resources uh for the uh you know for where you go about getting some information and um but before getting there we got to reset the olympics team usa andy did you see how that played out? Snuck in, <laughs> snuck in there. Yeah, that was that was tight right under the wire. I mean, just old what? people winning medals was surprising. So What's that did help. What's the deal? What is this that I end up with these positions on these Olympic markets that come down to half of a gold, one way or the other, and it's a sweat for the last two, you know, last entire two days of the Olympics. I was literally refreshing markets, trying to see: do we have a speed skater that I got to worry about here? Do we have a, you know, fill in the blank that I got to worry about here? And uh, lo and behold, USA lands eight. Um, it was. Uh, kind of a weird highs and lows for us. Uh, obviously, the snowboard cross, the Lindsey Jacob Ellis double gold was the highlight for Team USA. Yeah. Uh, the low light was probably our alpine skiing team bringing home one rando silver. <laughs> it was not a great look for us on the old alpine events, but, uh, you know, that's okay. We're going to rock in Cortina. Um, what were your takeaways from the Olympics? Any success for you? Yeah, I, I really, I didn't get into it. I really couldn't get into it in the same way for some reason that I got into the last winter Olympiad. The offerings weren't great at times. And, you know, some people fed us some nice winners and the USA under gold. Actually, I, I, I called that a loss in the spreadsheet for, I'm just like, well, this is done. Like there are legitimately a few decent chances where this is gold gone. So that was nice to get that in under the wire, but I didn't watch nearly as much as I did four years or three years ago or wherever we had winter Olympics again. And boy, it really just does show that 
the winter Olympics sucks so bad compared to summer. <laughs> I watch so much summer. Like, I can't tell you how much. Well, the timing is. The, the, the it's all about the timing. Done. I mean, yeah. there's so much going on right now. You're rounding into college basketball, March Madness. You're, you know, I are you going to do your previews of all the different college uh, small I've started, conferences? Started digging started. into that yeah. right now. Yeah, you, yeah, you're. This is high season uh, for uh, for mid major Andy, and um, you can't be distracted by. Uh, you know, curling and, uh, you know, speed skating and some of these random sports here. So um, that said, I overall, uh, the USA and the Norway unders got me back into the black, which was exciting because uh, I, I needed that. <laughs> A lot of my match by match stuff really just didn't pan out. I bet Alex Hall at some absurd prices in the big air. He goes on and wins the slope style. So uh, that was kind of the... Uh, the nature of the game for me in the Olympics didn't hit any, I didn't hit many big prices. Um, I thought it was going to be more chaotic, more long shots winning, but it was kind of like a weirdly blend of uh, chalk and then, you know, kind of top five choices pretty much won everything. Um, nothing that was like a truly, absolutely insane shocker uh, that I can think of off the top of my head, at least that anyone that was taking a meaningful bet. Irene, Irene Shouten was my MVP of the Olympics. The Dutch long track speed skater. Uh, she was my Lisa Carrington of the Winter Olympics. Lisa Carrington, of course, famously was a multiple gold winner in the uh, kayaking events, flat water kayak, uh, flat water canoe, flat water kayak, flat water kayaking event. Uh, she was I, a dynamo like at the Summer Olympics. <laughs> and Irene Shouten. I'm so over the Olympics. And the women's. So, all right. Um, I do remember that flat water kayak gal, though. That was money. Like she was mispriced and she was just running through people. Okay. Well, we put a book, book we closed the book on Beijing 2022. Uh, it was kind of a mess of an Olympics from top to bottom. Uh, glad to really, get out of there without losing my shirt. Really? Th there weren't enough people talking about all the controversy bullshit too, that we had like the, uh, not that I want to rehash any of that, but like it was kind of messy with some of that stuff. I didn't, I didn't care for uh, – it's not like FIFA has done a great job over the – but like an, an international organization like this needs to maybe have better have better rules in place as far as what they're – it felt like they're just making stuff up as they went. Which controversy is uh, kind of first thing that comes to mind for you? I mean, the the, the Russian figure, figure skater. skater. Which, yeah. That was the biggest one. And then the, the late – you know, that, that just was, was weird. Like if she gets on the podium, nobody else gets to. Like who yeah. came up with that idea? I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, the uh, the weird thing about that is almost certainly in the middle of the summer or even next year at some point, they're going to strip the gold medal from the team Russian event. Yeah. And you know who will get it? Team USA. <laughs> That will be their ninth gold medal. Bookmakers are going to come back for you. Now. I'm going to withdraw those ones before that gets yeah, there. Yeah, this is... <clears throat> I'm not going to worry about it. <clears throat> not worried about it. Um, what's done is done. So, Olympics over. Uh, moving on to uh, new sports. Um, actually, real quick, did you have any kind of closing thoughts on the Genesis? Was that a tournament that you did well at? I didn't bet much. I, I thought I would. I just didn't have time. Like now that we are truly and truly through football, through everything, and I'm caught up with some college basketball stuff, like. This is a tournament. It's a bad week to be like, oh, I'm going high volume on this one, but I'm going to really have time. <laughs> if you don't get the matchups early, you get the worst of the number. And that's always been annoying to me. So I'm 
I'm, I'm ready to go full bore on golf, bet golf a little harder like I used to, and really didn't didn't play much, did some DFS, scratched out a few bucks there. Ooh, I, I, I messed up mass importing or mass uh, entering a, a contest or two, and I ended up in 50-50s, which mm. uh, I know it, it turned out like I didn't have – well, that you, you accidentally enter a 50-50, usually get like fourth place. Which just pays the same as like five thousand plays, but yeah. it d- didn't turn out too bad. I ended up making a few bucks. Um, my golfers did okay. Xander didn't win, and it uh, it was a little boring with the wire wire win. But it was, it's a guy I like. I like watching Neiman. I, I was glad to see him do well. Yeah, he's a guy I've always kind of pulled for. I was glad to see him win that title. Also, um, he is your top South American now. Ah, he's been the top South American for me for a year and, and change. I bet him top South American, I think, at all four majors last year. Or did he do the – he did do the Masters, I believe. Um, all right, well, let's talk about betting a new sport because everybody's into this now. Um, what do you think – I like, take me back in time to when you were a relative novice better and you your football season came to an end and your accounts were flush with winnings from a successful Super Bowl handicap or, you know, just maybe you got an anthem tip and you got a bunch of under money on your anthem or over money, whatever it was. Um, what happens to you in the immediate aftermath of the football season being over as a novice better? I think that's, yeah, you, you start, especially now, not even like three, four years ago when, when I was maybe a little newer, there wasn't quite the amount of content that's out there, but like right now you, you go on your Twitter feed and YouTube or TikTok, Instagram reels. Fuck. There's even LinkedIn touts now. Like there's somebody telling you what to bet in every sport. Like you can find, Hey, here's a hot. And you know, I I mean, we're guilty of this too. We have daily shows that we talk about. I mean, this is stuff we're actually betting though. I think there's a lot of shows out there where people are just come up with something to bet. You're not actually having to bet this. Don't worry about it. But there's, there's so much information out there that just like, Oh, like this guy's betting NBA. I should bet NBA. And I think a good chunk of the listeners, viewers like to, well, do like to take an analytical approach. It just, this, this goes back to one of the modeling episodes we did so many years ago where it was just like, man, the, you know what the hardest part of modeling is it's building, building that first, like entering that infrastructure. First, yeah, like, well, it's really taking the first step because it seems like a daunting, sure. it seems like such a daunting task because there's such a big checklist of things that you need to figure out. And inf- infrastructure is a good way to put it. Like, you need to come up with where am I pulling my data? What data am I pulling? How am I manipulating it? What am I, you know, what am I after here? Am I building power numbers? Am I building an ELO rating? Am I building, you know, what, what exactly am I doing? You know, golf, tennis, basketball. UFC is, I don't think anyone really models UFC. They just kind of make fairs based off tape. We've talked to some guys. If somebody has like an ELO rating for UFC, I'd love to hear how that works mm-hmm. because so much of it is matchup. And I think the same thing with tennis where, you know, so much of it is is matchup based. Even if you do have rankings, context needs to be thrown in there. So I guess like if you drew were 10 years ago, let's just start with NBA. Let's say it's like 10 years mm-hmm. ago. You don't have mm-hmm. an NBA model. You don't, mm-hmm. you should, this is hard to do, but try to push your knowledge out of your mind. And, and I, I do think we want to touch on like, maybe bring up some mistakes you made sure. early on and oh, how yeah. to push through that. But like, if you were just <laughs> wanting to build a real basic NBA model and your goal was just to break even, 
Mm-hmm. Where would you start? Well, I guess not now. <laughs> not in the middle well, of February. Not after football season. This is where people are at, though. This is where people are at. This is what they're forced to do. For sure. And I think that was kind of where I was leading you and what I at least I remember from my experiences when I was relatively new to this, which was whatever balance I had in my account when the football season was over, I would play it until I lost it all. <laughs> like That was just kind of how it went because withdrawing was such a huge pain in the ass back in the day. And it was all for recreational fun anyway. Like and China and yeah, you're just like, oh, I'll just, I'll just dink it. away on college basketball. And it's like, oh, I'm losing. Well, I'm losing. Well, I guess I'm not going to deposit anymore. Forget about it. And then wait until fall and redeposit. Like that was I sort think, of I the, think, the deal. I think you have a really good <clears throat> disclaimer for this entire rest of the show is if you were betting, let's just say a hundred bucks a game in football. Sure. Maybe you should scale that to twenty for basketball. Oh, like, great call. Yeah. Of you course. know, just like if you Point, if you yeah. want to slash it in five by five by ten, you name it. Yeah. Really, and really, the the true way, if you do want to build a new model, you want to build up some rankings and do some betting. The real way to do it, besides actually back testing, if you want to be forward doing it going forward, the real answer is to bet on paper. To test some stuff out, like not bet at all. Just say these are the three things I'm betting tonight and start tracking how it does. Look at the markets, track some of that. But I think there's just enough people that are going to want to, you know, maybe add a new sport at this point where, I mean, the the true answer is don't start betting the NBA February 21st. Like, (laughs) that's a bad idea. Or college basketball. Like, if you enter these markets now, they are as informed and as sharp as they are all season long. There are not a ton of actionable angles that aren't well known by the market makers in these markets right now. <laughs> and anyone that's been grinding any of these sports that are ongoing has an enormous advantage against you. And if you look at a line and you're like, well, I don't understand why this line is that way. I have some basic number that tells me it should be that like you're almost certainly are kind of getting the worst of things. I'm almost, I would guess almost certainly. Like, if there's something you don't understand, well, why, you know, uh, these guys are hot. Why, why are they five point off? You know, like that kind of uh, like logic, the way you think about problem solving when you're in a new market like this, where other people have, you know, have kind of become market shapers, you could get yourself into trouble very, very, very quickly. So, scaling down to, you know, 0.5, you know, 0.2 or 0.1x is probably smart. Um, I always, you know, betting on paper is fine. Um, I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. Right. I'd, ra- I'd rather I scale. I'd rather scale to. Oh yeah. Just sure. an embarrassingly small amount than than the better paper because absolutely. Just, it, and it's easier to track too. Like you can just you don't have to you go Copy look and at paste your yeah your results. Go look yeah. go look at the betting account. So yeah, I I think I think yeah the answer the true answer is don't do it. But if you want to and you're gonna if you, again if you are smart enough to scale your betting completely down you want to get into the nba even though it's way too late and it's a bad idea where would you start jeff brings up a good yeah scrapable data sources are always the biggest hurdle and i will say something real quick yeah i had i'm i'm not great i'm not some computer whiz I do okay, and I've learned a lot about Google Sheets and mm-hmm. you know YouTube and Google are your friend for finding ways to make your sheets do certain things with certain yes. numbers. Yes, and they they are amazing, especially some of the add-ons with Solver if you want to add that to Excel. But 
there i the biggest thing i have trouble with is when websites have problematic formats for scraping and i am not knowledgeable enough in coding to do that there's a website called fiverr and oh sure for, yeah. for like 15 bucks i paid some fella in algeria who was great about getting and i gave him a website i told him exactly how i wanted the format to come out yep. and he completely built this scraper for me and i tipped him a bunch because it was it's like this is crazy that you can get this done for this cheap and maybe it was super easy for him he seemed like oh yeah i'll just do that i'll get back to you in like an hour yeah so i i, th I think there is something to be said for learning how to do that i think that'd be great but also if you don't want to spend hundreds of hours learning coding sure you can you can get yourself a nice little scraper built by someone much smarter than you okay so two things first of all sign collectibles asked if i like crusty tonight at plus 110 i do not i did not see value on the dog in that one i think dimitrov He's had a miserable season, but I like him to do something here in Acapulco. Cressy, on the other hand, busted out in Melbourne, but has shown us nothing since. Um, he's uh, a little bit on – he's on my sketch list right now. The um, second thing I wanted to bring up was going back to your original question of like, okay, what are some kind of – kind of go back into the time machine, some of the stuff that I went through early on trying to build an NBA model. And – um, you know, like kind of took the same approach that I had for NFL, which was I need to come up with some way of finding um, efficiency numbers for at a team level that I can combine to get a power rating effectively. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have respect for what a market fair was or a market power rating was at the time. I just was sort of like, I need some efficiency stats. Let's get them. Uh, for football, I would thought, you know, I, would, I used to just, you know, go with the DVOA, right from football outsiders, like that was the Bible. And I was like, well, it's already been adjusted for strength of opponent and, you know, and situational, you know, you know, you know, third and one converting is, you know, a one yard, one and a half yard run is more valuable than a, uh, you know, a five yard pass on third and six, blah, blah, blah. Um, so getting efficiency team level efficiency stats was the first thing i tried to track down and yes guess who does that a uh, guy named john hollinger used to just dump all of that stuff on uh, espn's website and you could go there and copy and paste the efficiency stats and put them into an excel sheet and then mash them together in a way that you were like okay well it says pace is this for this team pace is that for that team let's average those that's our estimated pace and then our offensive efficiency is blank points per 100 possessions Defense is blank. We'll mash those together. This is the expected offensive efficiency for this team. Defensive, okay, projected score is blank. Uh, it's like, okay, we'll put a little home court advantage, sprinkle on top, and, you know, a little injury adjustments, and and off we go. And first lesson I learned was you got to, if you are counting on someone else computing those statistics for you, you're at their will. <laughs> you're at their whim. Yeah. Uh, they don't update them for a couple of days. Uh, you're kind of screwed. And, you know, and then even beyond that, I realized pretty quickly, like, oh, cool. So Hollinger stuff is average over the whole season. Um, but like this team hasn't had their best player. For, you know, the, the let's go let's use the Golden State Warriors, for example. If you're using the Golden State Warriors team defensive efficiency statistic that's based on the full season and they haven't had Draymond Green for the last month. Like that team has a very different expected defensive efficiency considering who is out on the court than what you would get from a season long average. And so then I kind of figured out the hard way, like, 
oh, I have to compute these myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that way you can do things like heat index. You can do things like, well, let's look over the last five versus the season average, which teams are heating up, which teams are cooling off. Is it related to the strength of opponents? Blah, blah, blah. Like all those questions you can ask and answer if you are calculating those statistics yourself. Yeah, I think definitely, like you said, the deeper you can get into trying to figure out ways that uh, that are just beyond the the efficiency numbers, like you said, weighting certain weighting more recent games heavier. Because really, like I thought about what you just said, you take the two paces, you average them, you throw in the home court advantage. You take the offensive and defensive efficiencies, you mash them together. You do that in college basketball, you're just gonna end up with Ken, you're gonna end up with the Ken Palm number. Like you just you're just gonna end up with the same thing that KP came up with. Yeah. And it's and it's gonna be probably pretty close to market. It's gonna be close to him. If you really want to do that, just pay the thirteen dollars a year and get Ken Palm and he has his his scores in there. I think the biggest step forward you can make after you you find some stats that you can scrape. In this case, honestly, the NBA website has some has some mm. pretty decent, you know, individual oh stats. If, if you want to get into the weeds on that, oh, um, but like like an absolute wealth. It's, 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 it's crazy, crazy. It is crazy how much is on the actual NBA analytics stats website. But you know, find your sites, work on your scraping, get to a point where you you have some stuff built together, and then I think your second step with any of these is tracking the market like that's the second step that i don't think a lot of people get to once they once they actually start building their numbers like realizing where you need to start looking for context is so much easier if you know that the market has consistently been cold on a team and again it can be short term like if if a team has been bet against three week or three days three games in a row what have you or the under just keeps getting hammered early in the week Versus, uh, I mean, we can go to the NFL, like the Eagles thing. Like there's just knowing what the market forces at work are, knowing that, you know, a team has been, I mean, to the point of it just being market entry, you can fully disagree with the market. I'm fine with that. Be the buyback. That's not the wrong, you know, just because the market thinks something constantly, that doesn't mean it's right all the time. You can disagree with the market based on what you did, what you've put together, but knowing how the market's likely to react can help you a lot with, you know, with your entry point. If you if you really think this is an over game and you think just based on what you've seen, the market is probably going to bet down anyway. Wait, then you'll have a chance to wait. Like it's not only going to just help you, you know, with with figuring out your plays. It'll definitely yeah. help with with market entry, especially with a really efficient market like the NBA. Yeah. Okay. So a couple things to add to that. I agree with all everything you said there. Um, and certainly the NBA.com stats dashboard is bananas. Like, let's just, you can, you can take, you can sit back and say, like, there's luck involved in, in, uh, in, uh, three point defense. Would you agree with that, Andy? Oh, for sure. Some teams allow lots and lots of open threes and their opponents just don't make them. Some teams are very aggressively defending the three-point line, but their opponents still happen to make those threes. And that can be one of the noisier parts of looking at team-level data. And if I were to give you this link of the teams, the, 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 the team stats dashboard on NBA.com, you could find it in three minutes. 
click to what teams are giving up the most three-point attempts from in with with uh, uh, over three feet of space in the NBA, and then compare that to which teams are allowing the lowest percentage on open three-point shots. And right there, you have a potential, hey, this team is probably going to regress to the bad or to the good in terms of opponent three-point attempt made because they're giving lots of open three-pointers. They're just not going in. And that sort of stuff is 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 pretty useful to be able to dissect on the fly uh, using their website. And I absolutely love that. Um, the, um, the other key, yeah, go ahead. I, I think there is something to be said for for lack of a better term, research projects, mini models, many, like when you run into something like that, if it isn't just easy to see on the page, like some things will be like, Mm -hmm. there's definitely a case for, all right, I have my power numbers. I have my efficiency numbers. I'm tracking the market. I've scraped this. I'm building these. I'm, I think I'm making good positions. And you see something like that where or you have an inkling that something is happening that's causing you to maybe lose some games or uh, some value you thought was in the market is going the other way. Um, I don't know, like a, a research project I just haven't quite got to yet. And I hope to someday is like pace theory between two teams. And with college basketball, you have enough of a sample size. Obviously there's, there's what 10,000 games a season where you can look at like, uh, you know, just in, in the NBA, I think there's actually an answer to this because it's a much higher level sport. And I think there's needs to be some partitioning in college basketball when I finally do this. But you have a fast-paced team and you have a slow-paced team. Solve solve the pace. What is the what is the median likely pace for that game? Yeah. Like it. that I think that answer is a little easier in the NBA. I don't than it is we've, in college basketball. We've had those conversations specifically, trying, and there are a lot of theories, a lot of theses. I don't have the answer for sure on how you mash pace because <laughs> sometimes uh, I've, I have, I, for that question in particular, if I'm doing a team level type of approach and I'm curious about what a fair pace projection is, yeah, uh, I will take um, three different, three different, uh, uh, th- three different hypotheses test them all and if yep. they all agree over if all three say over 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 then you, you have consensus regardless of your methodology then you're on sound footing if one says over one says under one says fair then you don't really have an edge on your total right um but uh I definitely averaging the two teams pace you know pace either you know using some sort of time decay so that you're getting their way that they are playing currently because if you look at any pace um, you know, pace data, game by game data over the balance of an NBA season, it goes down from week one yeah. to game one to game 82. It is a descending slope. <laughs> and that is because the game gets, you know, guys get tired. Fatigue starts to build in and the game gets slower and or, you know, games mean more later in the season, potentially. Uh, you know, I like how we just pivoted to just talking pace because it is the most interesting no it's absolutely well and 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 the thing is too like and drew i I think again it's a whole different game because you have a limited amount of teams but let's say again you have a top five pace a bottom five pace yeah yeah both teams are both teams are very good though both teams are uh going to be hosting a playoff series yes now you have now you have but now you have a top five pace a bottom five pace one team's very good, and the other one's a lottery team. 
Yeah. Those are, it's different questions. And I think with the, yeah. you know, the disparity between the, who's the worst team in the NBA? Uh, boy. Mesh? Magic Pistons? or the Pistons. Yeah. Look, Depending I mean, on the, the day. The disparity, right now it's magic. <laughs> and, and it's the same thing we talk about with NFL and college football. The disparity between, oh, I don't know, just say like the Nets and the Pistons is much different than Gonzaga and Mississippi Valley State. Like you can have a much bigger disparity and that's where it is. It gets so tricky in the preseason, like preseason. I mean, before we get into conference play with some of these yeah. weird matchups and just trying to get a kind of get a grip on this. That's where I, I think with the amount of data that you can pull off the internet now, you can really have some fun with trying to solve this. I think that's half the fun. It's just trying to solve, like, if a really yeah. good team with base a high pace plays a really yeah. shitty team with a high pace, is it still a high pace? I mean, somebody out there may have solved this. I would be fascinated. I, I'm, I'm sure um, someone has. I will, I will tell you that the, the couple nuggets that I have noticed, or at least that I think are correct, and you can test these yourself, I think in college basketball, the pace is dictated more by the better team it is um that's my general feeling in the nba pace is dictated more by team tendencies which are, can be quarter and or half specific and and pace, brett, ha yeah. brett has pace a good question good. too um there there are some teams that they they run a fast offense yeah but their defense is stingy and it, so it makes it seem like they have a medium pace, uh, an average pace when they're actually running a very up-tempo offense. So then if they run into a team that wants to run an up-tempo offense, it can make their pace get completely thrown off. There's, there's a lot of work to be done with this yet in college basketball. Uh, even more like it, and sometimes your pace expectation can get totally blasted if a team is hot or cold from three, because guess what? A made three means half court offense, <laughs> you know. A missed three, you have a transition opportunity. And some yeah, you, teams, you can have a, a yeah. rebound that's being caught outside of the three point line. Yes, yeah. And all, all of a sudden, gone. yeah, instead of an inbound, you have a three Bang. on one. Yeah, gone. And that type of stuff is fascinating. And actually, like the Milwaukee Bucks are the famous example that I can think of in the NBA, where pace can be very, very tough to pin down depending on opponent because their half court offense can be a slog. And their transition offense is utterly unbelievable. And you get very different pace when their opponents are missing threes. Um, and, uh, yeah, to kind of go back to uh, my example off the top about uh, missing wide open threes. Um, yeah, right on the NBA shot dashboard. Closest defender. I'm going to screen and I just want to see uh, teams that, are, that have no defender within six feet of the shooter. So wide open threes. Uh, would you be surprised to know that the team conceding the most attempts in the NBA is the Oklahoma City Thunder, who also happen to have the lowest percentage of wide-open threes made against them? If you were to tell me that that is going to regress to the mean and that they are going to have teams making wide-open threes against them for the entire month of March and April, I subscribe to that Yeah, 100%, especially because they're in like F, like super tank mode right now. So. And and I think a lot of the pace discussion that we we honestly this is like the Michael Scott this whole podcast is the Michael Scott sometimes I start a sentence and don't even, I don't even know where it's going we <laughs> really didn't know, know where I, I I like where this is going this is a lot of fun and I think there's going to be some good uh, comments or because there already have been but like you know that we're talking about pace as more of a function for totals I think right now oh surely yeah but yeah. but really like Sam Lipscomb longtime chatter brings up there's 
pace can absolutely play into the side as well, where there are teams that are just going to struggle on offense if they can't run the kind of pace they want or if they're forced into a different type of pace. Like you see, in the, yeah, the Texas and Abilene Christian was a Great super example. example in the tournament. That that was a that was a fun game, especially if we had the dog in that one. But that uh, I, I think that's I think that's the crux of what we're getting at here is. I don't want to sound like a stupid, like, you remember the videos you would watch uh, in science class when you're in like third grade, they're like, be curious kids, get out there and discover. <laughs> but like, I don't want to sound like that guy, but that's kind of the crux of all this is like trying to to find the problems that you right. think are, are driving the market and, what a segue. and solving them. Yeah. What a segue. What a segue. Because here is my real advice to your question about what do you want to do if you want to start now? And that is you get a market rating and you find a layer. You, you, do, you do your research project. You, begin, you get curious. You find your one angle that you're like, oh, well, this is interesting. Like there's going to be regression over this statistical category or, and or this isn't quite captured right by the market right now. But I have a baseline that is what market fair is to work with. And then you add that layer on top and all of a sudden everything looks like you have okay up oh, all my prices are fair except that one where there's something popping and it's this wrinkle that i've added that is kind of a, a layer beyond what the market is capturing in general well even even if you are building out something there can be something as simple as finding out like going back and looking at your fares for a long period of time and looking how they would have done, like even sure. taking ones you didn't bet. Let's say, let's say you need a 5% edge to make a bet. Looking at all the stuff that had a two to 4%, 4.99% edge, looking at it, seeing how that would have done. And then breaking that into subcategories, looking at like, where's, where's my numbers weak? Is there some sort of pattern? And again, this is a really simple example that is not going to be true for anyone likely, but like, let's say you have a big sample of totals and they do like 51%, not enough to beat the VIG. And you look at that and start to break down like, which ones am I losing? And for, again, a real simple example is you have a ton of overs that are losing like 60% of the time when the total, when the spread is like, it's a big spread. Yes. Like some, okay. something, something about bigger spreads, maybe like an arbitrary cutoff of like 10 or 15. When you bet overs in those, when your numbers are, your numbers are overvaluing something. That's what helps you get down to like what the root cause is. Cause like losing 60% of those bets where you think it should be an over and the spread is big, isn't a problem. It's the result of a problem. Digging down into why that's happening is like that's that's the fun part, and that's where you, I think, are able to solve some issues and find some additional edges. Yeah, no, I that a hundred percent correct, and yeah, I think your example is good. Like if you're making a market, if you're making a a, a total a fair total price, that's assuming that both teams are going to be playing till you know the full forty minutes of the college basketball game, but it's a fifteen point margin in the fourth quarter then things are different right whereas if it's a eight point margin then you're going to have a lot more fouling you're going to have a very different game state and those those nuances there can can be very uh uh impactful <clears throat> in projecting totals um yeah. the yeah so the point i i was going with with uh, a market fair and finding a layered ad on top this used to be tougher 
used to be you had to collect lots and lots of odds. <laughs> you needed multiple weeks of data uh, and you needed to have like a time regressed model where you're literally just fitting out, fitting what the, the uh, market fair is for all of these teams relative to each other. Um, and it gets complicated, obviously, when you get to college basketball because there's 350, 60 teams or whatever. Um, but even for an NFL or NBA, like you need lots and lots of games and closing lines and, you know, regressing to some market fair prices. Nowadays, it's easy because there is a site called Unpredictable <laughs> that does it for you <laughs> for basically every sport. Um, ben Baldwin started posting this for NFL this season. The first I had ever heard of it. I was like, yeah. oh, cool. Like, finally, someone else is doing this. And I, at first, I was like, oh, great. I have uh, a way to kind of back check my own work on this. And I was like, oh, it's the same. Oh, it's the same. Oh, great. I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> like, I can just go to this website and it's all there. And I think if you ever want a snapshot in time about how the market feels about any given teams, uh, what, a, what a reasonable power rating is for any team in the NBA, any team in the NFL, unpredictable has it. And it's very, very real, realistic. Um, the only time I can tell you, like, hey, watch out, was when we got to the end of the NFL season and teams were you know, resting and, uh, you know, there was player, uh, you know, player availability question marks were swirling. They weren't very reliable then. Otherwise they were very, very, very close to what I would have calculated independently and what other people we talked to would have said, you know, market fair was. So now you can click on the betting market rankings for the NBA. Their number one team is the Phoenix Suns. That probably is about the same as anyone who's out there doing some clickbait power ranking post which is based on the fact that they have the most wins and losses in the NBA. Like Suns are going to be your number one team. No, no doubt about it. Um, are they number one by a lot? No, not really. In fact, they are only number one right now, currently market wise, a little bit over Utah. And now some of that is just because of who Utah has played coming into the all-star break. I don't think realistically the market, the market respects Utah, especially their defense. Now that Rudy Gobert is back. Um, but uh, Phoenix, number one, Utah, number two, Andy, you want to guess who number three is? My Bucks. No, it is the Boston Celtics. And in fact, the Boston Celtics, not too long ago, were number one. And what is crazy is that anyone who was kind of keeping up with market ratings, anyone who was going to unpredictable regularly, saw the Celtics at the top of this chart about three weeks ago. And they were like, my God, the market has so much respect for these guys. This is incredible. And then it took, it was about a two week lag between seeing the market saying this is what's right and everyone who was in the space commenting all at the same time like wow the celtics are really good <laughs> like do you know what i'm you know what i'm getting at right like you caught like wind the, of that yeah it was kind of like right the before they lost the distance yeah, that was <laughs> hilarious timing for yeah yeah so so without question for adam silver's cousin it was it was fascinating to see the. Uh, I'll I'll put up the uh, the site here so you know what I'm saying. Unpredictable um, stats that unpredictable.com backslash rankings backslash NBA PHP. Um, yeah, this gives you a great snapshot of what uh, any games you know game generic points favored on a neutral setting. 
So exactly what you would want in terms of what is a fair power rating. Uh, they give you offensive generic points favored, defensive generic points favored. So if you're curious, well, you know, what is it about the Celtics that's so great? Amazingly, they have the best defense in the NBA right now. And if you know how, you know, this is, of course, Marcus Smart pre-injury is influencing a lot of that. And Robert Williams is, you know, his, his impact has been amazing. They have two incredible defensive wings and they're, they're starting five when healthy is absolutely dynamic. And the market has incredible respect for that defense. Um, and you know, that, that is driving the fact that their average generic over under is about 215, one of the lowest in the NBA. Uh, flip side of that, you want to guess who the number one offense in the NBA is right now, Andy? At least market wise. Boy, I don't watch enough NBA to just Timberwolves. It is the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, yeah. The there you Grizzlies go. are number one right now, 5.7 points over average on the offensive side of things that the uh, you know decent you know a little bit better than the bucks a little bit better than the minnesota timberwolves are number three. <laughs> Ooh, how about that how about, going, that? How about uh, I, that i brought i didn't i don't think i told you this i brought it up with alex the other day on brown bag but going to the wolves sixers game friday oh hell the yeah timberwolves game in a long time i'm like and i my daughter's like she doesn't understand like who's good or not she's like are there it's like, is it going to be good? Are they going to be good players? And I'm like, man, there's probably like three Hall of Famers in this game somewhere down the road. Like yeah. There's a de- there's a really decent chance I that, uh, you know, with good careers, all three of those guys end up. Uh, and I'm like, most of them are on the other team, though. That's not going to be good for us, but we'll still have fun. But yeah, uh, yeah the Timberwolves, that's that's fun that it's uh, maybe a team on the rise for me, at least. Great question from Holt. Do the Brooklyn Nets apply to all of this? What we're talking about is current market price for a head-to-head not globally what are their chances of winning a title does that does that distinction clear andy yeah i i think again i'm mixing up if it was you or alex that i was talking about like those things are so very very different in the nba or any sport that has a seven game series like uh, a head-to-head in one game is a wildly different price than a team to win multiple seven-game series and win the title. Like, it's not that like the Suns are at the bottom of something on top of the other, but they are different prices for sure. And I will just really quick for anyone podcast listening, I know Drew's putting up some uh, websites here in the in the YouTube video, I'll put them in the YouTube comments or the YouTube description. If you want to go find some of these links to Impredictable and some of the other websites we mentioned, you can go find those. Yeah. And I guess, uh, I, w- I think I have noticed at least Impredictable tells you right at the top last time they did their update, it reflects the latest lines that are available in general. It's not always the sharpest market making books that they're using from what I can tell you. They just no. may be scraping generic, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, who knows, but, um, and it reflects kind of the, the the most recent games. So in the case of the Brooklyn Nets, because they haven't played recently with uh, Kevin Durant, um, they have been like meaningful dogs to bad teams like the Washington Wizards, right? Like the Nets were dogs to the Wizards, I think, not that long ago. And so that fact alone would give you the Nets and the Wizards are pretty similarly rated at 22nd and 23rd. Does that mean that the Brooklyn Nets have no chance of winning the title? That's laughable. Uh, if Kevin Durant is fully healthy and Kyrie Irving is available to play and they're in a best of seven series, they are going to be a tough out. Everyone knows this. Uh, any ELO model 
Uh, if you go to 538 right now, I'm actually now I got to go look. What do you think 538 has the Nets' chances to win? Because 538 just takes their ELO and just plugs and chugs. Uh, and their ELO is influenced by a month of very, very unimpressive play by the Brooklyn Nets. You want to guess what the, what their chances are to win the title? I mean, my fair would be like 15%. <laughs> Your fair would be 15% to win the title. How about to win the East for the uh, Nets? I mean, double that, 28. 28, okay. So I'm guessing guessing they're at like 8 and 12 or something. Their chances to win the finals right now? Yeah. (laughs) 0.9%. Less, little less than one. Little less than 1% chance that the Brooklyn Nets are going to What's the market price? I just assumed, I just assumed they're like 6 to 1 or something. Uh, I think it's maybe even a little shorter. Um, they were co-favorites. I, I went with, with like Suns. six to one. That's I think they're like co-favorites with the Suns around four to one ish. Okay, so my 15, <laughs> my fifteen is low compared to the market. Yeah, you're you're cold on these guys. You're cold on the Nets, uh, but the market, of course, market's telling you that the Lakers have a four percent chance to win, which is somewhat hilarious because um, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> they're like nice, baby. <laughs> Uh, but uh, ultimately, I shouldn't laugh because I, I would I would like them not to make the playoffs. But I do not want to mush people who have no tickets on uh, yes no playoff market for the Lakers. Um, the current so yeah, you're right, six to one at bookmaker for the Nets. That slipped a little. Okay. Four to one is the Suns. The Bucks are about six to one. The Warriors about plus four sixty. Warriors coming in a little bit uh, for the title. I saw some sixes and. S- uh, over, you know, I guess that's the Chris Paul. That's the Chris Paul injury effect. Warriors coming down. Um, even though it's going to be four weeks before we'd see Draymond Green back on the court. Uh, and he, his, if you think Chris Paul's impact is important, Draymond Green, my goodness, boy, does he matter for them in a defense, uh, in a defensive capacity in a best of seven series, particularly in the finals, if they get there. Um, yeah. So the 538 ELO stuff is, insane um there's probably a way to improve it if you click around their site oh no if you just use the straight elo forecast the nets chances of winning the title drop to less than 0.1 percent <laughs> okay uh i feel like kevin durant plus like four g leaguers has a higher percentage than that <laughs> they are giving the nets a 41 percent chance of making the playoffs and a half a percent chance of making the finals and a less than 0.1 percent chance of winning the title uh That's those not are all website. low i'm not gonna put, not gonna put <laughs> that website low. in the uh in the show notes yeah no don't put that one in there um they they need to fix this come on guys we didn't you didn't learn anything during the Warriors nonsense that happened all so those well years with ago. The election stuff. Like, I know. I know it. Um, uh, it's tough. Um, anyway, so check out Unpredictable. It's not perfect, but any, you know, it gives you as clear a picture of what the market feels about teams at any given time than anything else that's publicly available that I can tell you. I mean, I, obviously, like if I was diligently cranking out content and putting up my power numbers every day, uh, you know, I would say this is better than unpredictable. But you know, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I don't know anyone who is. Uh, so you know, that said, let's talk um, about player level. You want to talk well, about a little, little player level? I was gonna say, and maybe it's a good segue. Let's spend a little time because I again, if you if you are just about to fire up 
scraping and building some efficiency and power numbers for NBA. I don't know if you're ready to fully go player level on it, but I think it's a good segue into, and I don't want to spend forever on this because we could do two hours on each of these sports, but the going to individual sports from a team sport. Like we talked a lot of NBA. We talked a lot of college basketball. I want to segue to golf and tennis to close her out after we do this and talk about some differences and just how much context you need to be applying to those kind of sports once you start throwing numbers at it at first. So play, yeah, player level. If I obviously I don't do this, I could not possibly do this for college basketball without a team of interns. I, I can't imagine uh, it would take a long time to build this and it would be a pain in the ass because if you follow Jordan or any of the, you know, the good college basketball Twitter accounts yeah. constantly, they're tweeting out like, Oh, guess what? This guy's in sweats right now. He's not playing. Like I can't imagine doing that on a Saturday with 150 games, figuring out which of these players are out. And truthfully at real lower levels, none of them matter. Yeah. But in the NBA, like you said, <laughs> yes. they very much matter. And I get a friend, yeah. Alex, yeah. Very, very much will. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, a good example. He comes up again as a player whose impact is high enough on both ends of the court that Alex will base a total bet on if he's in or out. Like if he's in, I'm taking this. If he's, you know, if he's in, I'll actually take this under or this over. Yeah, I, there are there are three ways in which you can evaluate player impact. Um, there are sites that give you a brilliant way to deconstruct on off mm-hmm. uh, there. And that is instructive because um, certain players, oh God, what's a good example? Um, you know, like you, like you would be blown away by how much a guy like Deandre Hunter for the Hawks matters to the total. And it's not even what he's doing as much as it is when Trey Young is on the court. He needs a DeAndre Hunter so badly to make up for his defensive woes that when those two are out there together, the Hawks have reasonable team defense. When Trey Young is out there alone, he's getting absolutely torched and picked on and bullied. And it is, uh, it's, it's a matter of like, I could I could feasibly see expecting Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter to go and the talks total at 225 and Hunter comes out and the adjustment should probably be eight-ish points to the total, which sounds insane. And the market is never gonna move it that far. Insane. It's not ever, it's never gonna move that far. Ever. There is a there is a point where someone will be the buyback before it gets to the full adjustment it ought to be sometimes for some of these players who have really, really, really big player level impact on, on points. And, um, I, the, uh, I think that probably the people who, you know, the arbitrage players, the people who have the injury information first, who are betting the over before the news is public, the hunters out, they're probably coming back with like what five point move four maybe like there's like a there's a buy point for all of that stuff and it never gets to the full uh, of what it should be we saw this with carl anthony towns a million years ago because his impact uh, both offensively and defensively yeah. was like one direction <laughs> yeah <laughs> if time. you can yeah. get way ahead of an injury news or, or like even if you're not ahead of in, the injury news if you have guys like that who you know will impact the total based on their availability 
you can usually make a pretty good educated guess about their availability just by looking at the market. Like, yeah, hey, the, the under the under just got smashed. Like who's people, out? people, people in the know know <laughs> yeah. this guy's in or who's out. In? Who's in? Yeah, who's available? Um, the uh, which and, and that's a, a real yeah. real quick segue into that. Sure. This this is this is something I've thought about. Is uh, say, well, how's that useful, Andy? Like, uh, if if you are not the guy who finds out about the injury first and is able to bet into the number, which is bad at that point, and you see it, like, oh, the total just moved three and a half points, and everything about that points to let's again, let's just point to Carl Anthony Towns being in or out. Yeah. If that player is out, I think, and again, this is a softer market that might get you limited if you get too hard, but if you can make good predictions about player availability based on the market moves in some cases like that, I think there's a mint to be made in player props. If you, yeah. if you can say like, like it just, just, I think there's just little stupid things like that, that I think about all the time. Like if, if somebody is feasibly out based on how the market's reacting, like, well, what, what can I do with that? I'm the last to market then. I think there is something to be said for go look at some player props for somebody who's getting more minutes then. In the NBA, the injury info is pretty quick. The market reacts pretty quickly. And it yeah. is, these are some general statements I have about this. Don't take this as the gospel by any stretch of the imagination. The market tends to overreact to on on a side when there's an injury news and it tends to underreact to the impact on the total if it's a player that does impact the total does that make yeah. sense uh, it, it does and here's the thing about the side why that is and our friend uh spread a stare uh coined this a million years ago in the basketball chat uh the superstars superstars <laughs> back when he was right after he was done serving in world war ii uh, he coined superstar subtraction, which is effectively the Ewing theory, but it's more of a gambling-related Ewing theory. Um, when you take out a star player from a given team, the distribution of that usage tends to be under, yeah, like under captured by any yeah. numerical model, right? Like, oh, the guy that's taking those shots now, like you, you can use the data you have on him to tell you how efficient that guy is going to be with the ball in his hands. But now that his usage has changed, it's going to be different. You don't really always know what that's going to be. And in super narrative nation kind of sentiment, those guys know it's their time to shine. It's like, hey, I can get, I'm going to be getting the usage tonight, man. Like this is my time to really, you know, dial up the best stuff I got. So that I can kind of make sure that the coach knows he needs to keep me more involved and I can get paid and blah, blah, blah. Like the, there is almost always a weird sort of bump in production from players you don't expect in those sort of situations. And it tends to kind of even mask, you know, especially in the middle of a grind of an NBA season, game 56 of 82, <laughs> like... Oh, one guy decides he's going to try super hard. That actually kind of matters. <laughs> Like as crazy as that is, uh, and so a lot of times, yeah, I, a again, goes out and a team context, ends up context, context, better. Yeah, yeah, you, you never know. You know, it really use some context because there are certain players who react differently to those situations. Like, you get, I mean, there's a difference between like Dion Waiters and 
and other players when, when they decide it's their time to shine. <laughs> I just my, don't know enough about NBA. It's oh, my speaking time. of time to shine, uh, you know whose time decided not to shine? Brandon Nakashima. Now, this guy, like, talk about overrated by the market and a, a, a complete di- a divorce from reality in terms of what a fair rating for Nakashima is. The market cannot get enough of Brandon Nakashima in the uh, in the future of American tennis. And any, he any closed, he closed minus 1,000 today against uh, Gojewitz, and he's losing... He's going to lose in straights. Amazing. Unbelievable. Um, sorry for that little segue. but He's uh, only I, 20. It's still still time. But and There's a thing that goes on with the young tennis players. As yeah. they're coming up, people like hitch their wagon, and they're like, I'm going to be there when he wins his first big, you know, takes his first uh, skin here. And uh, it's just, it's not happening for Nakashima right now. Holy crap. No, for, for every. He's wildly out of form, too. Yeah. For every Alcaraz, there are fifteen Brandon Nakashima. <laughs> yes, like, it's just great, great comp. Ooh, like there, there are players who absolutely you know deliver. And let, let's go to tennis because we've spent okay. a long time in basketball, and eventually I should go home. Oh, but one thing I want to mention real quick about <laughs> player level stuff: check out Drip and Darko. Those are your two best player level ratings. And if you want to know advanced box score, neither one does a perfect job. I have my qualms with both and we could talk about it offline if you want um time decay is a problem with darko i think we're gonna we're gonna do a bunch more nba strictly nba podcast let's let's put a pin in those and get into it i have questions for you on both of those let's save some save some but yeah tennis keep some tennis and golf tennis and golf actually have quite a few stats available as well a lot of the golf stuff is paywalled um you can be lucky like me and have access to PGA feeds now, which is going to be pretty awesome. But yeah, there there are plenty of sites where you can get free, real low level golf data. Even the PGA website is going to have some. It's going to be incredibly difficult to scrape from there. But I think the the biggest difference is in you know it, if you get to golf. And there are intangibles out there, and I am comparing it to tennis and the team sports we've talked about. There's really no defense. Golf takes out a whole – it makes it sound like easier, and it's not. Golf is incredibly hard to beat. But there's a whole thing you take out. Like in tennis, you play defense. You're playing against each other. And every team sport, there's a defensive in baseball, basketball, defense – everything with golf it is a little different because it's just the man versus the course yep but tennis tennis i feel like and we'll start with that is you've been able to put some rankings together but i think again like we talked about ufc there's so so much context and again a little analog to golf it is still man versus course a little bit with surface Mm -hmm. because there are players who play differently on each surface but i think that's that's once you get big enough sample size on guys, you're able to quickly and easily analyze a player's different tendencies on surfaces. But then, and I think you're better at speaking to this, you have guys who just don't handle, you know, they don't handle certain players' shots, certain players' serves, you know, a, a strong forehand, a, a nasty slice. A left-hand, a lefty. Le- there are, yeah, there are players who do not play well against left-handed players or Tall, players who handle short. it quite well. Yes. Yeah. And that's where uh, I'll put this one in the notes for sure. Tennis abstract oh. 
a lot more sorting than probably scraping, but there's so much free information on tennis abstract and you can get super granular on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, it's a, it's the greatest free resource for any sport that I know of probably period. And the reason I say that is because the gap between tennis abstract and the next best tennis data out there is the grand Canyon. <laughs> the next, like I, I remember when I was like, Oh, I'm going to put together tennis model. Let's go to the ATP tour.com and see what kind of stats they have. Like you still go there. I, I, I've, it's been a while since I've been there, but I bet you, if you still go there today and look up stats, it's like, um, Evo Karlovich leads in all time aces. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the hell is that? What is this? What are these stats? Why in the world would I care if Evo, Evo Karlovich has all time aces? Like, give me some, some performance stats. What is going on? It's, uh, it was, and the other thing, and they, they turned all of their data over to IBM at some point and they let Watson build like an absolute dog shit player model that was spitting out probabilities that was so bad and i think that that, that whole thing might have gotten abandoned or forgotten at some point i hope hopefully it did um but tennis abstract on the other hand has just an absolute wealth of data uh sackman keeps a github repository so you don't even have to scrape it you can just pull the yeah. whole package whenever you feel like it um, and if you don't want the whole package, you just want a nice graphical user interface where you can pop like, uh, oh, let's see what Sissipasti's playing in Acapulco. Has he ever played this event before? You can cue just his results from Acapulco. It's like, oh, well, he played last year was his first time here. Oh, he made the final. Oh, he lost to Zverev. Oh, on the way to his final, he had a great run, man. Oh, my God. He destroyed Perry, destroyed Isner. Uh, he had a tough three-setter versus Felix. Uh, he destroyed Massetti, and then, uh, you know, he had a very close call against Zverev in the final. Like, that gives you a little bit of an indication of what, you know, like, oh, well, you know, like, was he in good form at the time? Let's zoom out a little bit, look at his results in March last year, and just see, uh, you know, and, you know, it that sort of ability to kind of quickly go through um, results and have some uh, performance stats in there, like double faults percentage, ace percentage. Uh, I like the dominance ratio a, a ton. Dominance ratio is a good, is a better indicator to me of uh, a player's performance in a given match than looking at things like breakpoints converted. Breakpoints are a little There's a bit lot of misleading. noise. There's a lot yeah. of it's a lot of randomness in there. It's a lot of randomness in there, and there's there can be some skew where, like, if you have one long game where you have six break chances and you didn't convert any of them and you're zero and six on break but then every other return game you were <laughs> you were you lost to love like maybe you weren't really that close <laughs> right yeah, like yeah, maybe it yeah. wasn't that close of a game even though you oh, and, and then you say like oh my, my dog it was zero and six on break point chances you know it's like well yeah the guy was playing well, that's the thing that that's what's so difficult about this. And that, that like your dominance ratio, either dominance rating, whatever it is, the, it's the DR column on the tennis DR abstract. dominance ratio. Yeah, but it, percent of return points one divided by percent of serve points yeah, lost. Yeah, it does a better job of contextualizing that because, again, like yeah. in your uh, in your instance, there, it's like man, did, 
did the guy have a you know did he switch rackets after that was it just <laughs> was it just a really bad ball yeah. like was he having just an off service game and needed a drink of water like when you see that if you look at the overall stats and can't put context to it it does throw an unfavorable shade on a player that probably played a lot better than you thought yeah yeah yep um yeah, so you could look at the, like the Zverev Sissipas final from Acapulco last year. Sissipas converted. It's funny, I clicked on Sissipas. You clicked on Zverev. Uh, yeah. Well, I, no, I clicked on Sissipas also. Okay. He was like right up there at the top. Yeah. Um, Sissipas only converted two of his eight break chances, but he saved nine of his twelve. And so it was like a little bit of a, oh, you can blame like, oh, you just couldn't get the break you needed, blah, blah, blah. Like uh, he he did quite well d- defending his own serve. And in fact, if you look at the dominance ratio, um, you know, it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, he realistically like he was the lesser player in that match. Like he lost fair and square. <laughs> it wasn't a matter of he couldn't get his breaks. Committed. Yeah, it's uh, I like how you said it. he lost fair and square. It's like how we do. We do box score deep right dives result. on, on yeah. college fo- or pro football games. Like yeah. you go look at this and say, like, man, was this just was this a win they deserved or a cover they deserved? Honestly, in in some cases, and looking back at rear facing back testing, however you want to say it, I think it is super important in tennis because a lot of it is just well, the guys in the semifinals, he must be good. Like, did he deserve the last two wins? And, and I think there's a lot of cases where the prices are skewed. Yeah. Okay. So the other the other resource that I think is worth pointing to for tennis folks, uh, Odds Portal, uh, mm-hmm. does a really, really, really good job of aggregating odds from all over the world, which is what you care about if you care about the tennis market. Like what DraftKings prices or FanDuel prices have been doing over the balance of the day. I don't give a fuck. Like it really does not. <laughs> that does not move the needle for me at all. Uh, I am much more curious in case of say Brooksby Zverev. Um, my fair, I opened that at 625. I looked at the other market openers Fortuna in Czechoslovakia opened it at 588, uh, Betson in Switzerland or Sweden opened it at 526. So I was even a little higher relative to the other originators in some of the European markets there. It's gotten bet down. Like I think Zverev is probably going to go off in the 400 range of pinnacle right now. So yeah, somebody really thinks Brooksby's, Brooksby's got a chance. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, looking at odds portal for global market, um, information is very, very valuable. Oh, chance Czechoslovakia opens are minus seven sixty nine, So they were on the fat side. So I was kind of more in there in line with them. Um, but even better than that, like they have historic odds that are really useful as well. Like you can go back and get an entire, money line odds for all of the matches at a major uh, and kind of marry them with the tennis abstract stuff so that you can then take the data you grab from the GitHub, match market information to that, and then you're off and running. I'm looking at last bet. Every time I go on odds portal, there's like a new sports book I've never heard of on one of N1 these. N1 bet? Have you seen, Paramatch? What's Paramatch? You ever heard of them? Uh, Paramatch, it's down right now. Anyway, odds are not updating on there. Their API feed's broken right now. Last, it's not last bet, it's last. Last, but now with two S's. Last bet. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of weird ones. Um, Cure bet. Uh, So let's get back to the, 
and maybe just a quick five minute uh, primer on, and I've, we've done this before, but the, the whole point of the podcast was like, what if you're not betting tennis? I, you know, you joked about, and it wasn't joking, but you said you probably shouldn't jump into the NBA market this quick or at this point of the year. Yes. Tennis has so many players and so many moving pieces. If you haven't watched any tennis and don't know any of these names, I really think you might want to you might want to start doing that first. At least get a feel for how the game works. You know, everybody understands how basketball works, but I mean, maybe take a look at these websites, the the tennis abstract, look at some of the stats, start to put some context to what they mean, and then maybe focus in on a I don't I don't know where how would you start? Would you focus in on like a handful of players and start to track their markets? Or, oh. I'm trying to think what a, what a good way to really dip your toes yeah, in. Great without, question. Without getting um, just because there's so many players, I would stick to either the men's or women's. I would start with that. Yeah, they yeah, down by just half. Pick, pick men's or women's. Pick one tournament. Try to kind of d- dig in a little bit into one tournament. Start understand understand the surface. What was the surface speed like at this tournament in years past? How does that compare with who has played well here, who has done poorly here? What are the current form of the players who are playing in this tournament? I think those are all important questions you can ask to give yourself a leg up on any of these. Um, and I mean, you know, upcoming the next the next round of tennis tournaments after these are wrapping, uh, the next big one is Indian Wells, and Indian Wells is a hugely important kind of sets the bar for a lot of players establishing themselves at the beginning of the season. Uh, it's a slow hard. So it's basically, it doesn't really give a huge advantage to the serve bots or, you know, it doesn't really penalize the players who have shot construction and, and, you know, clay court skills. Um, and yeah, I think uh, Indian Wells is a great time to kind of get in, immersed into it. And it's a North American time window. So you can actually watch it. So that tennis is, TV, a tennis TV sub is about invaluable. <laughs> I, I, uh, I would on in my office all day long, which yeah, is great because there's tennis on all day long. Too. <laughs> yeah, pretty solid. Yeah, our guy Seb Corda struggling. Uh, and yeah, yeah, sign collectibles, right? I was curious, what was the closing price for Sissipas Verev last year in the Acapulco final? And thanks to Odds Portal, you can click right through. And uh, Sissipas closed minus 169 at Pinnacle. How about that? Uh, he was a meaningful favorite. Uh, he must have been favored by like two, two and a half games. Two and a half. Yeah. Um, you should be able to find that too. Oh, yeah. You just, can click over to Just a different tab. Just a different tab. Yeah, two and a half was minus 103. Interesting. Yeah. Zverev in straight sets was... Yeah, that's a... Plus 350. This is how you can tell we don't actually prep most times. Like, when, <laughs> when I said that, like, what is, the, what is the way to dip your toes into tennis and really... The answer is very slowly. Very slowly, like, yeah. Although like, at hey, the same time, no, I think I think this is. Pick, I, I, li- I like how you said pick a tournament, and yeah. then start looking at, um, you know, look at what a guy opens and look at what he closes or yeah. a gal if you're betting the women's side, and and then go back and look at the stats and see and see what you can see to determine like why do we think the market is looked at that, and then also look at the other like is there somebody check social is somebody 
hanging onto an injury? Does somebody yeah. have a really bad head to head versus this guy? Yeah. Watch the match. Honestly, the, the announcers in tennis are so bad right now. I don't know if I. Oh, you got. If you want to listen to tennis, listen to the ATP radio. That's the radio call. broadcast is all and at the slams. Oh my god, the slams! The radio guys will give you so many nuggets that you don't get from the TV. It's absolutely wild. Um, the uh, the last thought about dipping your toe into tennis uh, water is um, find a 50-50 market to play. Don't uh, just go start making fares and swinging away at the plus 300 dogs or laying the juice on the minus 500 faves or playing parlays. Like find a 50-50 market to get involved with. Um, if you think you, if you're coming up with fares and they're consistently biased to the dog, which is the way my model generally works, um, then, you know, find a way to attack a dog with value, you know, you know, that you can do better than just, uh, potentially losing the, you know, the, the underdog bias extra big to the house. Um, that's to say there are lots of underdogs who have a realistic shot to win a match. And sometimes realistic is not actually going to win that match and so playing an over or playing a handicap is a better way of attack um and then i like can... that i like that too look at some look at some uh 50 50 matches you're not gonna get minus 110 on a lot of those but it's still uh it's it's just find still a 50, maybe, yeah find some 50 50 markets maybe a better way to gauge it and again it's just like anything follow the market and i think that the same thing goes for golf and we'll close with that it, there's a lot of fun to be had betting outrights in golf. It's so much fun to cash a big outright. It's very difficult. And a, a big thing I take away, and again, golf broadcasts, I, I've said nice things about the golf coverages here, but golf broadcasts in general, they say stupid shit all the time, especially now that they're trying to, you know, shoehorn in some gambling talk. But anytime you hear some of these narratives of like, oh man, this, you know, this guy won it last year, or he won last week, or it's so hard to do this twice in a row. No, it's not. It's not hard to win twice. It's hard to win a golf tournament at all. Like it's, it's, a, it's a 150 man field. Like that's, it's not the reason is you won it last year. The reason is because there's 149 other people and it's very difficult to shoot very, four very good rounds and not have anyone else do the same or better. Like it's just very difficult. And I think until you can build good fairs, it's super hard to play the outright market. I struggle with the outright market constantly. I had a fun year last year hitting a few, but it, it's something that I I really do struggle with and I enjoy head-to-heads. And, I, you know, like Drew said with tennis, find yourself some 50-50 matchups and start handicapping. I think the same thing with golf. There's a, there's a wealth of stats out there. A lot of the subscription sites are pretty cheap. You know, you're talking like, 20 30 bucks a month for a bunch of stats if you want to play around there and you know start digging into a couple matchups here and there and determining you know read some previews get to know the courses there's so many good previews that are tell you like what what the course makeup is and you start determine what matters there and really just start making some prices and really follow the market again like we said this for everything but it's such a good indicator especially in golf. And I, I don't think CLV matters in golf as it does in golf matchups like it does in pro football. But you can really get a feel for, you know, what what the market is actually, mat- what matters. So with any sport, I think the first step is figuring out when the market's open 
where they opened, like Drew was talking about Czechoslovakian books with tennis. He wasn't just goofing. That's who. That's the worldwide opener for a lot. Those numbers are soft and they're beat up right away, and you're not getting a chance to bet those, obviously, in, in the Czech Republic without a lot of uh, finagling. But get to know who opens te- or golf first, where it opens, and we're the sharp. I mean, it's bookmaker, most of the sharp numbers. But, I mean, if you want to start tracking this, just take a snapshot or copy-paste, scrape, scrape the bookmaker numbers into a spreadsheet on Monday or Tuesday when matchups come out and then do it again Thursday morning, right before tee off. And, yeah. and, and it's, you don't have odds. You don't have odds checker for golf matchups. It's, it's tough finding some of the prices for them. Sometimes you have to do a little legwork, but getting to know like who's getting bet at a certain tournament, I think can, can help you along a lot through the single round betting markets later on in the tournament. If you know some people took some heavy money and maybe the guy didn't have such a great round one, you know that yeah. the, the, the sharp market in general like, like the guy. And if he played poorly and he didn't look good and some people are down on him and maybe you watch the tournament and it might've just been some bad luck here or there. Yeah. A, f- a funny bounce. He lost, like, he, he lost three strokes putting. Yeah, uh, something something not sticky like putting. You could definitely find some good value on the in in. I, I say in tournament markets, they're more round by round betting is what you'd want to call it. Like they're gonna have matchups that are just for round two. I think if you can have a good grip on where the market's going, you can find some value there. There's a bunch of different ways. Like again, find a problem and solve it for golf. I love it. <laughs> um... And maybe the most valuable thing, really, if you are getting into, you know, what you said, grab the grab the market openers, grab them late in the week, compare like that exercise alone. Doesn't matter how many years you've been doing this, you will see something valuable. Nobody ever, nobody ever does. Nobody ever really like talks about this and it's not easy to tell people it's a lot of work yeah and if you don't have this it doesn't automated, make for good content it doesn't make for like compelling you know like like it does make for compelling podcasts or video or whatever um but if you can just get in tune with a market um you have put yourself into the 99th percentile of betters and this, and we're talking golf right now. This goes for every single sport you want to. Every handicap. single sport, yeah. And and you know what the you know what the big part about this is, when you do this, a lot of the advice we're giving you is trying to solve issues, and finding your way. When you track a market like this, it is not going to answer questions. It is going to create five hundred more questions, because yeah. there's going to be market moves every week that make no sense, and you need to go talk to again networking is important talk to other people who bet golf see what they're seeing try to figure out what's guy i hate the group think that happens sometimes <laughs> on gambling twitter but you know figure out why you know there's a possibility of some injury that wasn't talked about or something about this course that doesn't jive well with a certain player why somebody's getting bet against when you think he should have been bet on like mm-hmm. there's again it's always more questions than answers but those are the questions that lead you to finding more answers down the road. Like, and again, like I keep saying, that's the fun part. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Figure out, break the market and you're ahead of everyone else who's playing the game. For sure. For sure. 
All right, man. Good show. That was fun. Hour and a half. I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, we didn't sit and build a model for anybody, but I think uh, I think that's kind of on you guys. <laughs> no, that was good. I think that was uh, about as comprehensive a, uh, a combo without any prep that we possibly could have laid on fun. put on I tape. Had fun with yeah. that. Um. Hey, guess what? This is on YouTube. If you have any questions, I, I finally set it up so I actually will get alerts if people comment on the YouTube. So I will see those comments. If you have some questions, put it in the comments. Hit them up. Hit them up on Twitter. Hit us in the DMs wherever you want, and we'll try to answer them as we can. Uh, we don't have all the answers. I struggle all the time, but <laughs> I think uh, I think it is. I think it is exciting. It's an exciting undertaking, betting yeah. a new sport, and there's so much. You just you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, that's the tough part. Seb Corda held surf. Look at that. Look at him. Fourth try. Fourth try is the charm. Uh, and yeah, as noted by Sign Collectibles, man. Fernando Verdasco. Oh, that's a fun name. He is a that is a player that harkens back to his peak. When do you think Verdasco's peak was? In the, uh, tennis ab, in the tennis abstract Elo model tab. What's brilliant is you can go and look at what was his peak age in Elo. Verdasco, you got a guess? Twelve. Rome 2010. <laughs> 12 back. years ago. Collectibles was Woo! closer. He said 09. 09. It was Rome 2010. It was Verdasco's peak. Look at that. That's a lot. Crazy, oh, man. A time ago. He looks old, too. Actually, you know what? That was one of my other takeaways of the Olympics. Not that we want to make this podcast any longer. But a lot of old athletes did really well. Uh, there's hope that. for us. There's hope for us. All right. Maybe I should enter a 5K. Been a while. Ooh, now we're talking. All right, let's put a bow on it. Thank you, Dan. Thank you guys for tuning in. Yeah, for Dasco in 2009, made the semis of the Aussie. He made round four at the French, and he made the quarterfinals of the US Open. He had a good year in 2009. How is it Verdasco never made it to the quarterfinals of the French Open? He made it to the round 